Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Uh, Ariana Ryans is the author of... Three poetry collections. Those are The Cow, Cordelion, and Mercury, and the Obie-winning play Telephone. She has created performances and art projects for the Whitney Museum, works in process at the Guggenheim, and more, and she's taught poetry at many institutions, including Columbia, Yale, NYU, and Berkeley, where she was the Holloway poet. Recently a McDowell Fellow, a Dora Marr Fellow, and a poet in residence at the T.S. Eliot House, she performs frequently around the world. Please join me in welcoming Ariana Ryans. I'm going to eat the microphone. Hi. Hey. This is so great to see you all. You're all really, really good looking. It's so exciting. Um, All right. Um, I just want to take this in because it's like a a home-like feeling. I used to live around the corner from here. It's very exciting to get to read at Skylight. Thank you all for getting in the car and coming here, putting on clothes, lipstick, such beautiful lipstick, beautiful unlipsticked faces too. Um, So, I'm going to read some poems from this book. And as some of you know, I like us to be able to have a dialogue. So there is indeed a Q&A at the end, but you can also engage me as we go, as always. Um, I'm here entirely to be engaged by you, so don't hesitate. And, um, yeah, and I think the way, the way we'll do the Q&A at the end is I might save you one poem for, like, the end end, you know? <laughs> but you'll have plenty of opportunity to change the direction of things, make requests, uh, you know, or have your needs addressed as best as they can be in this context. Uh, all right. <sighs> I feel shy. A partial history. Long after I stopped participating, those images pursued me. 
I found myself turning from them even in the small light before dawn to meet the face of my own body, still taut and strong, almost too strong a house for so much shame, not mine alone, but also yours and my brothers, lots of peoples. I know it was irrational for whom I saw myself responsible and to whom I wished to remain hospitable. We had all been pursuing our own disintegration for so long by then that by the time the other side began to raise a more coherent complaint against us, we devolved with such ease and swiftness it seemed to alarm even our enemies. By then, many of us had succumbed to quivering idiocy while others drew vitality from new careers as public scolds. Behind these, middle management professors were at pains to display their faultless views lest they too find censure, infamy, unemployment, and death at the hands of an enraged public. Individuals in such pain and torment and such confusion, hardly anyone dared ask more of them than that they not shoot and in fact many of us willed them to shoot and some of us were the shooters and shoot we did and got us square in the heart and in the face which anyway we had been preparing these long years for bullets and explosions and whatever else a vast unpaid army of self-destructors, false comrades, impotent brainiacs who wished to appear to be kind. Everything we did for our government and the corporations that served it, we did for free. In exchange for the privilege of watching one another break down. Sometimes we were the ones doing the breaking. We would comfort one another afterward, congratulating each other on the fortitude it took to display such vulnerability the demonstration of an infirmity followed by a self-justificatory recuperation of our own means and our own ends, in short of ourselves and our respect for ourselves. This amounted to the dominant rhetoric of the age, which some called sharing which partook of modes of oratory and of polemic, of intimate journals and of statements from on high issued by public figures who at one time or another we all mistook ourselves for. Anyway, it wasn't working. None of it was working. Not our ostentation and not the uses we put our suffering to, the guilt and schadenfreude-based attention we extracted from our friends and followers, and even the passing sensation of true sincerity, of actual truth, quickly emulsified into the great and the terrible metastasizing whole, to the point it began to seem wisest to publish only within the confines of our own flesh. But our interiors had their biometrics, too, and were functions not only of stardust, the universe, as we now were prone to addressing the Godhead, but also of every mean and median of the self-same vicious culture that drove us to retreat into the jail of our own bones and the cramped confines of our swollen veins and ducts in the first place. Our skin was the same wall they talked about on the news, and our hearts were the bombs whose threat never withdrew. Images could drop from above like the pendulum in the pit and the pendulum, or killer drones to shatter the face of our lover into contemporaneous pasts, futures, celebrities, and other lovers, all of whom our attention paid equally in confusion and longing, and a fleeting sense like passing ghosts of a barely remarked upon catastrophe that was 
over, both before and after it was too late. We were ancient creatures built for love and war. Everything said so. And we could not face how abstract it was all becoming because it was also all the opposite of abstract. It was our flesh, our mother's bloodied forehead on the floor of Penn Station. And wherever we hid our face, amid a crowd of stars, as for example, Yates once put it, and for stars, insert celebrities or astrology here, your choice. And even when we closed our eyes, all this was all we looked at, every day, all day. It was all we could see. We were lost in a language of images. It was growing difficult to speak, yet talk was everywhere. Some of us still sought to dominate one another intellectually, others physically, still others psychically, or some of all of the above everything seeming to congeal into bad versions of sports by other means, and sports by that time was the only metaphor left that could acceptably be applied to anything. The images gave us no rest, yet failed over and over, despite the immensity of their realism to describe the world as we really knew it, and worse, as it knew us. I do feel like that changed a little bit yesterday, though. It's cool to be here, you know, it's the day before the solstice, it's the day after Juneteenth. Joy Harjo is now our poet laureate. There's something is happening, and some of the despair in this book, I'm very happy to say, is out of date already. So fuck this book. <laughs> I wrote it to get over it, and I hope that you will soon be over it, too. Arena. <coughs> because that light was not like the others, making us seem to be becoming a place, and because on a traffic island the sun had filled me, and because my mother was crazy, and because she was sometimes sane, and because I was in love, and then I wasn't in love anymore, and because I was hungry, and because I needed to party, and because I was grieving, and because I had studied the Dust Bowl, the architecture at Delphi, Judaic and Islamic legends of Moses, Midianite theology, the history of Haiti, Aryan horsemen of ancient Iran, the collapse of Sumerian agriculture, Kundalini yoga, Alan Savory's and competing theories on desertification reversal, ancient and contemporary methods for ruminant grazing, grasslands and myths of grasslands, those Hopi stories that can be found in books, Roman haruspicy, Hellenistic astrology, the life of the Marquis de Sade, one or two novels, one or two volumes of poetry, Bulgarian choral singing, elements of contemporary sculpture, certain Gnostic scriptures, my own appetite, and because you can pay a professional to cleanse you of demons with a chicken egg, and because the air filled first with the odor of cheap men's cologne, and then of human excrement over warming Pop-Tarts, and because one morning in Santa Monica, a woman emerging from a store was heard to say, they don't have guns in the toy store. To which a man replied, I know. He was seated beside a child. We'll get it in another toy store, said the man. 
and because an ugly incense was emanating from House of Intuition, and because Kabir wore a peacock feather in his cap and Krishna had one in his turban, and because King Solomon brought peacocks to Kiyim in a boat back from Tarshish, and because I fell down sobbing over a beaded cloth, and because what I had for so long failed to see, what I had ignored, mistaking it for ornament, was information hiding in plain sight, and because there was no way to touch what was converging on us, and because once there were oil pits near Arderica and a pitch spring on Zacynthus, and because Iris was the messenger of the gods I'd forgotten, and because the iridescence of the peacock was due to a complex photonic crystal, and because that crystal was silica, and so for the most part was sand, and likewise the stones to which desolate people increasingly communicated their wishes, and because glass was melted sand, and Johnny Cash was attacked by an ostrich, and because pens used to be made of feathers, and because Chopin and George Sand had been miserable on Majorca, and because there were dust storms on Mars, and sandstorms in China, and Israel was investing heavily in anti-desertification efforts, and because Papa Doc had shorn Haiti's mountains of trees, and when dust from Azerbaijan blew into Tbilisi, I lay with a nihilist and a fenced-in woods, and when strange lights appeared at the height of the spruces, there was dust on our tongues. And because I navigated by the pine cone in my skull, same as everybody else, and because a bird had alighted on the lectern of Bernie Sanders and Mozart kept a sparrow as a pet, and because the mute son of Kenzaburo Oe learned speech from records of birdsong, and because of the bird friends of Odin and Massaw, and because the gizzards of fowl were iridescent, and likewise the pearl, and likewise the viral unicorn frappuccino, and because Big Sur was on fire, and a hot wind was blowing over the Henry Miller Library, and because in Paradise, California, California, people burned in their cars, and because the bullets kept flying, and because the relentless spread of stupidity was allegorized in Flaubert's novels by grains of sand, and because idiocy came down onto Baudelaire on the wind of a wing, and because the less we could agree, the more it seemed we were revolving into a gem. So this book has a few different like varieties of, I guess I think of them almost like statements of purpose that it starts with. And I'm sorry that I'm like putting you through the statements of purpose, but I feel like, or okay, I'm not sorry. Thanks for the look. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, sorry, not sorry. It's, it's like, um, it's, yeah. So here's a, here's a, here's a different take uh, on the statement of purpose. Everyone okay? Okay, okay. To the reader. And this has a quotation from um, my Puritan forebear, John Winthrop, um, who saw something freaky in the sky and um, noted it in his notebook and it went into his memoirs and he said, and I always appreciated this, he said, other credible persons saw the same light. And you all look very credible to me. A couple weeks after Hurricane Sandy, I found myself on my knees sobbing before an image of the Black Virgin of Chekhostova, known in Haiti as Erzuli Dantor. 
This image had been given to me by a gay priest I'd met a short while before. One long, pleasant night we spent talking and blowing meth during a special period in my life. <laughs> my heart had recently cracked open. Fear had departed me. I felt my middling capacities and medium looks beginning to become penetrated by drops of what I had always wanted, but still, even today, cannot name. What I'm trying to tell you is I found myself crying sincere tears because I wanted someone and because I now, suddenly, it was 2012, had a home. I seldom had had one. And those moments when I want someone badly enough to weep and to do anything under the sun to make that person mine remain, it must be admitted, rare. Can you take seriously one at once, at once so arch and so strange, so frank and yet so withholding? I'll wager that you can. And slash but I am trying to escape the problem of being taken seriously. And I'm trying to run away from ugly pictures of me. And I'm in flight from the burden of my homeless mother, which flight is married to my desire not to overthink how much I, too, extract from this ground and from the ones who have loved me, whose love I have failed to reciprocate adequately, even though I told myself I was lonely and that I needed it, the affection and the fucking, even the briefest of thoughts, if I wasn't going to disappear entirely like some forgotten minor god, the thoughts that think the mind in which they revolve are produced by the landscape through which we move. I was pursued by pigeons and doves with rings around their necks. I was pursued by dead, then living, then immaterial birds. I was beset by a capacity to see life and death as a range of colors, and that the colors of death, purple, and variegations of writhing humus and white and black, like the black and white that will fill the world if you press gently but insistently on your eyeballs, were simply deathly colors describing varieties of living, and that there was, in fact, no such thing as death. And when I dove down below it, taking the form of an insect, and when I lay supine like a bug relaxing in the sun to describe what I had seen and how truth and falsehood were weirdly married to the spilled milk splattered across the heavens and in the basis of our turning cells, I also saw how, though more loosely now than perhaps before, the net that would trap me inside my life still hung over me, over it, over us, over me and my naked, formless life itself, as it had in the earlier years, when I bled for weeks on end, when I never slept, when I allowed vicious things to be done to me, and when I in fact wished for them and invited them. I saw how I was held by the reflection in the screen of my computer when it was in the off position and I saw what my phone saw of my face as rocks of sorrow and confusion were born in my cheeks to bloom and die there, leaving serrated proof that the invisible world was real. But why am I trying to talk to you now in this of all media? Not because I have seen things no one can explain and for which no lineage credentialed me. Not because I wished to pass out of the world and manage to, or because I wished, wished to pass 
back into it and was clemently received. Not because I know anything, though I might know something, or even because I'm burning with desire to make myself known to you at last in the secret place I have prepared for us. Dream House. The pavilion has walls of rug when I'm a knight with blood foaming out my chain mail, so I lie down on my cot in the cool darkness, and when I close my eyes, the falcons alight on my page's glove. I'm fine to die in there, chills seeping into my bones, cold spring like a carpaccio painting. I fold my arms to compose myself like a coffin-lid knight, a crypto knight. I mean a dreamer. I mean a man who doesn't exist with his rock-hard sword standing up, up, forever. Since I was 17, I've been dreaming I'm the maid in a house, a wide house in the mountains, and I'm consumptive like Chopin or Proust, and I'm honest and servile, not artistic or cruel, and not clumsily dressed. I'm ugly in the simple way of having been made so by my servitude and not in the unsimple way of having pursued what I pursued as a, so to speak, free woman. Do you remember the days of slavery? I do. I am wan and dowdy and I sleep on the floor. Once in the dream, the house belonged to my father and a man said to me in his Schweitzer Deutsch accent, and now that you have entered the house of your father. I remember the ice of a nearish glacier seeming to steam against the blue sky. One's eyes grow hard and gem-like in the Alps, you know, not that I'm from there, not even close. Still, in the Alps, even especially the dull-witted develop raptor eyes. My grandmother worked as the maid to a duchess in Warsaw while her husband was gassed at Treblinka. Then the duchess died and she, my mother's mother, had to find a new way to hide. Hide life is a phrase I've read somewhere, in a poem maybe. I keep wishing I were writing about tents, walls of rug, walls of yak felt, yurts, lying awake in my friend's mother's bed, thinking the teeth in my head, the teeth in my head, while my heart flared bios, bios, bios. I thought a woman could not bear the rhythm, what it takes to sustain biological life. I was naked except for culture like everybody else in my generation. I come from a broken home like they do, and I hide it, serene at the joystick, at the command station of my so-called self, except I try openly to hide only badly what it is I think is wild that I'm doing my best to reveal by not really hiding, though hiding. A poet can be a permanent house guest, like Jimmy Schuyler. A woman can be homeless to escape her homeless mother. A white woman can get away with certain things. A woman who does not want her spare thoughts to be consumed by lip implant, rippling butt implant, wet tongue in the sushi, flat screeny gangbangs, and a suntan might, for example, choose homelessness in order to pursue with some serenity her, for example, let's call them literary researches, surveilling aristocratically only her own pathetic machinations, like one of the dogs shaped like Nazis in a guard tower in Mouse by Art Spiegelman while a countertenor in a sack butt bleep WikiLeaks WikiLeaks, and naked men and men with hoods over their eyes and zappers on their peens quiver in citadels in which we, the United States, hid them. Eve Klein knew that walls are sad, designed to immure misery. That is why he designed a house made of air. We only write because we're nudists, but not the kind you think, but not necessarily not that kind. 
art gets exhausted, which is why a temple, the idea of a temple, I need to go to a temple every now and again. And in order to have a home, I had to play a trick on myself, which is that it's a temple, this house. My body's my temple. In that movie from the 80s where the man from California says, my body's my temple, my body's my temple. Okay, well now in my dreams of domestic servitude, I receive small pay. I get to go across the street and contemplate the toiletries in an Alpine 7-Eleven. Salon selectives, Prell, Garnier, or Pert Plus. My hair will look like shit. I don't buy anything. I go back to the kitchen to fish out of drawers three iron candlesticks. The dark lady who rages over the family near the high vaulted hearth where I slave over a hot stove and nothing but a dirty t-shirt like a child laborer in a National Geographic photograph, all gorgeous in the mufti of my total deprivation, the dark lady can only, it seems, be communicated with by me, no longer the maid, but progress, household witch, earning, after all, a salary, however tiny, horse whispering, its deadest, most psycho old bitches, sweet-talking them down from the rafters, down out of tantrums, unthrown, unthrowable by nobody me, the inverted V of downward-facing liberty, when you have no choice but to try to have chosen what you never, never would choose. Sitting on a bench at the end of my exhausted term like a regular grown-up, I pictured myself shampooing my luxury hair in some artsy shithole, mildew streaking the torn shower curtain lurching across the second expanse of poverty my ruined imagination could manage. Well, I guess I could join the Israeli army. Why the fuck would you want to do that, said somebody else inside my dream head. Pretty much dead by the time they were done needing me as their slave, I started to feel kind of American. I mean, like an adult, sitting uncomplaining, torso a plain physical fact over unquivering genitals, just meat on a stick with the vague sense that somewhere between lavish femininity and state violence lay a mediocre thing called liberty. Still, to be able to sleep at all is a procedure of waking. Everybody has to live somewhere, being that we are here where most of us are not welcome. Did you know transcendental homelessness was a thing? But I had that dream on a physical mattress, on an actual floor, in a room with a door that I pay and pay for. If you write, you can forge a substance that is other than the woman of substance you are. If you do it to such a point, you can find yourself declining substance altogether. It happens. It is a danger. But there will always be the idea of a bath or a sleep in a bed or a dream in the head of a woman who's even beautiful visibly or at least groomed or somewhat fresh or like that most domestic of bugs, the cockroach, dragging his ponderous suit of armor across the floor or clean sheets when it's raining and I love you so much and I think, give me shelter, which is a movie I've never seen. So there's different things that happen in this book. There's like infatuation and love affairs and one night stands and wellness bullshit and, and good wellness. I just, I sort of noticed that the Trump era ush ushered in the era of wellness. Like there was like a kind of surge in the, this, the yearning to control one's own body. It, it seems to me as sort of in parallel with that whole thing. And um, so, why am I telling you this? Um, uh, yeah, 
Well, here's a poem inspired by a, one of the emails from Cecile Richards of Planned Parenthood. I guess she's no longer there. Things have moved along, but um, it also it also includes um, a psychic who was wrong, <laughs> and um, and a word that I had never heard spoken aloud before. And once I heard that word, it kind of like changed my whole body. Has that ever happened to you? No words. I lost my notebook maybe a week ago now. I couldn't put that into words till now. No words, said the subject heading of an email from Cecile Richards of Planned Parenthood. I can't even, said my feed. Yes, queen, preach, glottal stop, glottal stop. Shit emoji, said some guy, aloud. That psychic in Sedona said I'd get it back. He was wrong. Red mud on my blonde boots. Ordinary people shouldn't be allowed to do drugs, I conclude, remembering ruefully my ecstasies in front of the damning evidence of a Burning Man book. Some birds overhead spilled into the sky like a fistful of ashes. I wrote down the word throve. When Colm Toy Bean read it through Bluetooth to the rented Chrysler speakers as we crested a hill with a future anterior prayer in me to have thrived. I really want to know what that feels like. I really want to know what that feels like. Participles of Desiree. This is um, kind of a California poem. And actually, I was going to tell you like what I was reading at the time, but I, I, I think I'd better not. You can ask me later. You let me pluck leaves from your hanging down beard, clover gemmed with rain, wet acacias fragrancing the fine young palms, the mosses wet over careful sons of Julian complicating my arousal, the care I feel for this creature unbombastic, its fever now making it tread quietly across the floor. Virgin moss, virgin bloom, revirginated forests boreal, pregnancy, apogee of the virgin enunciation, full fathom five, thy father lies, hawk red on a street light, sun temple in the form of a chariot, lariat grasses tender and green, leaves unshaven beards of rain, cooked chocolate, sun in mounds, I used my best bitch voice to get more ceviche for Tongo's mother, Arlene, just back from six months in Venezuela, cow's mouth salivating in the street, Tongo's poem, strange car with its butt cut off, window selling a new blonde espresso, conspiracy born of the president's hair, looking at pine boughs, thinking up money, passing Santa Teresa Boulevard, pines circusing the dark clouds, Bolaño's cheek as turning light on a distant hill, faint rainbow before us, a note from the beautiful sculptor, email promised from smoky Glasgow, polar ice screaming in 
into water, Tongo's lines past the Christmas tree grove, glowing Jane and bright Layla, a palm beside a pine, unspooling the father's iridescent petroleum, green moss on all the ropes of trees, past the garlic of Gilroy, clots of nopales and signs for cherries, hill covered in yellow mustard flowers, and despairing of the instruction he craved, he withtook himself again to questing lines. Rain drove down on bending cows, eight tracks of calipuni, teacher awakened by a rat, specters of our supposed collective wickedness, the Lenten technocratic churches of NorCal, rain misting the wild highway, gasoline of the 20th century pooling at Watsonville, where Jay once, in the car with a pathological liar, saw a flying saucer. In the cold white light of my computer, my client called me a genius, cadence of 20th century alibis, cadence of gentle men to whom I now loose my pen. It was just one way of keeping the promise once made to me that I could be a 100,000 people, nausea at the sight of our flag, too big in the blowing rain, guns in the quiver of the state, tear gas, eardrum destroying machinery, the gun of wrecked children, the AR-15, a partial history of iridescence, gizzard like an abalone hid among giblets in the holiday bird, day of mourning from Hurricane Sandy to Sandy Hook, stand of trees in the form of China, the great sand fire of 2016, hot wind over the water at Big Sur, Jonah down in the whale, alien song chiming the trident seas, moon cloven by abyssal birds, twilight must be the darkest hour on the highway, she sang, but though her song rang true, it was not so. Almost upon the sorrows of Koalinga, where SVPs, sexually violent predators, are locked in their hospital, where cows go to die, past Soledad, the crime with the beautiful name, industrial death from which all souls recoil, upon which we still sup. Tongo said the Oakland juvie broke him, boys locked in closets, ringing the indoor yard, virgin moon, untouched by God and man, a Buddha dream everyone wearing a top knot. You've already covered all the material, bitter incarcerating angel, all my self-cruelty or my liver accomplishing the churning of waste into shit, whatever I did for guilt or duty, whatever I exchanged for a brief, brief anesthetizing season in unthreatening beds, pigs for sale, freedom is not free, worm moon, moon of primeval emergence, virgin navel pressing out into the world, up from the wet soil, up from the ground, green eating glacier water. I don't know that you ever set foot in California, gentle scholar, searcher, poet, finder out of the secrets hidden junk DNA, entertainer of the wilder ideas, true weaving, true intelligence, all gifts inadmissible to the university, data uncorroboratable, virtues incomprehensible to high court, gifts of years conferred in a single spoken word, mystic radio of galena and clay, and other ingredients I cannot say, rubbed on the heel of the palm and presented to the rising sun.
Do you guys remember when everybody had a top knot? That was like, that is already over, right? That was like, that, for, there was a while, like they just kept on coming. It was just like more and more, and then they like got it out of their system. I don't see a single one in here. Interesting, very interesting. Uh, yeah, obsolescence ha happens, happens fast. Um, here's another obsolete poem. H how are you guys doing? Are you okay? Okay. Magazine feminism. <laughs> you know, it's obsolete before it even starts. <laughs> okay. Huh? Yeah, it's true, it's true. The ghosts return, the shades. Magazine feminism. <clears throat> I should say that as soon as I wrote this poem, you'll find out in, in a moment, as soon as I wrote this poem, the situation that it describes immediately, rapidly improved. <laughs> to the point where there was just, yeah, magazine feminism. I could not be said to have wound up anywhere, but it was true that at that time, I was alone. Also true was that I had not been fucked correctly in what was starting to feel like a long time. I used the apps but did not show myself on them to be a person sipping cocktails on an inflatable dolphin, nor was I a person about to simply say who she was and what she sought. I got more attention, of course, than I could possibly return, and at a rate of about one in a thousand, encountered someone with whom I felt what is commonly termed a spark. My appetite for self-advertisement having become admittedly low since the period I had had to take the university to court, and the time before that when I was being stalked by several men and the ex-wife of an ex-boyfriend. I was certainly having a profound experience of myself and of the light that fell on me and my views and the distortion of my views and the cheaper versions of things I had done which shone in the light my machines gave. I just don't even have words for what it felt like. I don't have words for when you would rather work than fuck, but to borrow a phrase from an old jazz song, it can happen to you. <laughs> I am tired of the ruse of emptiness that fills my sexual imagination when I feel beauty of a certain kind being done to me, and tired also of the job of performing sovereignty according to these old rules. Some of my favorite people seem to be fueled by pure rancor. By rancor alone, I can't say I'm the same. The sun warms my writing hand I forget all the time that the sun is our friend. I often forget that I have friends. I taught myself to surrender. It was strategic, like going out of your body while somebody fucks you and you don't want it. Every woman knows what this is like. I don't know a single one who hasn't done it. But I taught myself another kind of surrender too. I did it in the off hours, in whatever time and space I could steal from my career. All I can say is once you have surrendered like that, it becomes hard to care about magazine feminism. Though I find myself looking back at it like the doomed woman from the myth, and looking back at everything else, too. My barbaric homeland, I beheld it from deep within a jewel. I looked down at it from airplanes. I studied it with unkindness, 
the way I had learned to study my own face and body. The bad ideologies through which we all had to move could be shaken off, and our mutual dependence on the machines to fill the desert in our lives with music and bodies, ideas and fun. I would not change it for a mountain, but so many mountains had already fallen. And it may be that my despair that day, in a light of pale beaten gold, like something in an attic vision, while an eclipse progressed that could not be seen, it may be that my despair was chemical, or that it was menstrual, but it was also mensual, actual, or it was all a bad dream. I, too, a product of magazines. And yet, I wanted to say, and yet, some wild feature of my apparent docility is even now filling my arms as if it were a cayenne pepper soda I were talking to you through, but now I feel the other world pulling me down again. Goodbye. I have no idea what time it is or like what is. Okay, yeah, that's kind of a lot. Maybe we should, you could, are you in the mood to ask questions? All right, all right, thank you, thank you. Um, this poem I'd like to dedicate to the memory of Kevin Killian, who, was, uh, who did me the honor of reading it for me, as me, um, in Chicago one snowy night when I couldn't be there and the person deputized to read the poem also couldn't be there. And Kevin had this wonderful way of making fun of you without actually needing to literally make fun of you. Do you know what I mean? And, and since his passing, he's been tickling me with all of the ways that I've gotten things wrong, but he never actually says, you were wrong. He just finds a way to sweetly unsettle what's wrong with you so that it drops away. And he also finds this way of, he was such a big person, in, I mean, in his brilliance, in his capacity, he knew everything. And he knew everyone. And he knew everything about everyone and everything. And so no matter what you would ever say to him, he would know something very, very unusual and surprising about it. And you would never know what it was gonna be. He would have some story. And the way I, I feel like Kevin actually did take his talent and his gifts very seriously, but he had found a very queer way to, to not impose himself or present them, but to sort of spread out into the world. Do you know what I mean? And he would just let you experience the wider capacity that he had vis-a-vis -vis your own green or narrow or idiotic little thing without ever being, you know, without ever needing to put it into so many words. And you would just it would just kind of take your breath away. And it was that feeling of wonder and of humility that you feel when you're, when you're in the face of, of something superior, you know? And you just instinctively felt reverence for him. And I, he's still doing it. 
Very much. I mean, he's very present. And isn't it wonderful how present he is? I mean, it's a little bit, I mean, I was a little bit irritated, like, by the fifth day of all the outpouring. It was kind of like, well, could we be a little nicer to each other while we're alive? But I think he is enjoying this diva treatment, which he does deserve. So... Only one grass whistles out the tooth of my horse, and the moon drops fast behind the fences, and the wheat lolls back and waits for death. I could see the sea from where I was, my mesh hat shone blue, the jagged cheek of Gibraltar, solid, sucked in the mouth and never melting, where my dog's warm underleg soothes the wet stone, I speak of it thusly, I say it thusly, I lisp its name into the curl of wall stained dark in the impression of my mouth. Only one grass whistles out the tooth of my horse, and the moon bends back, and the wheat lolls back, and opens its stomach, and waits for death. I soak it in my black water. It seethes in bags I have hung up among the rafters. It seethes in bags of amber and jasper transfusions, flower liquids and cellophane pouches streaked with goo clots of plastic soldier sun. When the pitcher is poured out the length of my tongue and 10 vats of grease ignite in unison, only one grass whistles out the tooth of my horse, a too tight phylactery, the moon bending back, the wheat lolling back, scroll boxes clattering on the stone, jugs of gasoline and jugs of sand. I threw my coat on the sea, the velvet sea. My coat spread, my coat spread. It was the blue of the top of the column of milk, it soaked embroidery. It was the ditty two winds wind into the anus of night. Skating along the floor of the brook are leaves and ice. Devolving on the brook floor, it is only one little one, one blue shard of pale Palestine. The wineskins are pricked, goat's udders banged sore where mica lodges in the mucus house, where my velvet is sucked down, where the cheek blows thick with sleep to be brushed by the sea. Blue Palestine, wrung swan neck in oil, tasseling dirty day with rocks that fly and fly and fall and fall and fall. The moon bends back and the wheat lolls back. A cracker whitens on the tongue of the hanged man. My velvet is sucked down the sea. The sea wall is chipped blue. The clock of Palestine, gulls, salt beaks, iron drums, soldered shut and stuffed with salt cod. An anvil of rammed earth in the form of a baby belly button hair raised on the hat of the imperatrix, embossed forever in her brass annal. No grass screams against the foot of my horse. No rock whinnies down the side of the sea. No scroll staves off the reeds quivering in my rib wall, and no algaes quiver, and no frogs belch out the tablet over the song of my purchase of night. Blue Palestine, 
Red sucker, bloody on the bib of the world. Blue Palestine, ice tray soaked in solid sun. Wellfleet. It is such a silence that its gloss would take forever. Like the face whose sun is a con. Like the veil warmed by this selfsame con. Like seven veils each on the seven gay pillars rubbed down with creamsicles and adder of rose. I mean, what I mean, maybe I want to end it. What I mean is, I want it raised, like a Z hissing through white underpants, hot with spit, many Zs, and vermeil Zs from cartoon sleeps when your body says drugs, when the sun drops its goo down your vents, and the more you lick them, the more the speakers hiss, and that's like adulthood. When I pried open your ass, I smelled the fried chicken you'd eaten. Or when our fuck was like a Greek coin and I yearned to fall down and worship. Or how myrrh smells like shit. Exactly. Like sweet shit on fire. Is it active enough to be itself? He chortled, rubbed with herbs. The sky was vapid and seething. All morning, I had no money. The entire quarter consumed in such silence. Its steps and the stoops of its steps consumed in such glacial silence. I knew it was the sound of slowness to which the air itself was palpably, even as we walked through it, capitulating. Just a ripple shaking down its pole when the belly really is the middle. It has its own navel, your belly softening under its navel, the sun whitening down from the stars that tickle a spider's legs into the anxiety which becomes her murder, her absolute form. I mean, this state, I was born in it, and having returned to it can only think the only thing that makes any sense is to have come out of it never to return. Here is a ticket. It is an ancient ticket. It is about 50 years old. Do you think it's still good? It depends. When snow blankets the past, our days spun to particles that shine even when we hate them, just like everyone else's. Like this extreme fineness did not just happen. It was made by an asshole who took. And it is like freedom. It is like freedom sometimes. It is so big. Too big not to be grand. But it is not grand. But it is so big. This embraced you from all sides like the gelid god it was with its zapping clitoral elves by the hundred, ten, hundred, billion thousands in a hiss of clean soda water, accomplishing turnings, acclaimable feats, tricking on the dusky loom of Kabir, means wrought ends achieved in absolute butts and total finishes that bury your face in blooms, gushing dickhole tears that once you've dealt them, you've smelt them, and once you've done that, it's like you took their smell away, but you didn't mean to. You're a nice person. Like, when it's too raw to be free. But that's freedom. 
when uvular clots spewing yogurt and minerals and a sea of boiled wool still has a winner, even though it sounds equal, just because it sounds equal, it still has a winner, and its winner is me. I mean like when you're sucking the pit of the peach until your tongue is sore, until your tongue is tonsured, until you've swallowed your tonsured tongue, swallowed Beowulf's, Maccabees, the trick that the moon is small. Like, why don't you get that it's only a trick that the moon is small? Actual men near like the moon. Are there any? The moon is hung at the end of a dark arm over us, a warm arm, our arm, and it from where we are is equal to the sun, and it does matter where we are. It matters where we are. It puts a cloud of ink in my jelly, in the dew gels now everywhere cropping up on the shoals. It runs like razors along the sides of a school of fish, slicing your forelegs open in the sea, which is not a sea, but the ocean at its outermost, where the lords, which are only shoulders athwart heads, all bemossed and in concert, turn toward the edge where the sun dips under, which under, when it's hard to swallow the seat of the first end to a day where the throat Throat closes and gags on the sun, mountains unbegrimed but submerged but still retaining their heads. When the sun dips below the row at the outermost lip of the world, and when the copper-colored humped back of the part of the universe we can see from there, obviously copulating with its other unseen regions that it obscures with its heaving, when the copper-colored humped back of the part of the universe we can see from there uncoils, like the thing that shot pain into your friend's head when he thought it was love he was making and that it was his load he was going to get to be blowing when the copper-colored humped back of this side of the copulating universe uncoils and unbends and sighs its very long milk size of years. By the hundred thousand millions eddying into pools at the edge of the eye of the lucky one when its ducts are sucked for the buds that hurt when they give. The day, the sky, the blue line drawn at the top of the page by the four-year-old. The blue line drawn by the boy representing the sky might be seen for once to be where it is, also under us. Okay, this is a long book. You're not giving me a very questiony vibe. You you want you want more poetry? Okay. Mm. Mm, a story. What kind of story? A story about poetry. 
Once upon a time. Okay, I need I need another I need another element. A dog? Oh, okay. That's a good one. The whole time. <laughs> um so you want to hear a story of suffering and triumph, redemption through vulnerability and TED talks. No TED talks. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, um, I think one of the things, there's two things that, I, that were hard to do other than like basic stuff. Two things that were hard to do, tasks that I had set for myself. One was to try to record the recent past, which Freud said was the most difficult thing to reconstitute. It's the most uncanny thing. It's the weirdest thing. It's like those top knots that have disappeared. And the weird, you know, there's weird kind of like fad diets and there's all this stuff that was so recently there and then, you know, is kind of, it fades away very quickly. And yet, I, but I wanted to track something like esophageal <laughs> that was happening. You know what I mean? Um, because something happened to consciousness itself um, since, since 2016. Something has happened. And um, so that part was... So I wanted to do that, that was one thing. But then there was all of these um, religious experiences that I also wanted to bear witness to, but I didn't want to separate the shit from the gold, if you will. Um, and that was hard. That wasn't much of a story. But that was hard. And I did rent an office above the Bulletproof headquarters in Santa Monica, this time last summer. Um, and I could read you a poem I wrote on the solstice a year ago tomorrow to round out. That was a bad story. I can do better. Thank you. Solstice poem. Walking toward the water, I passed a woman twerking in an open car door, over the lap of one whose hand reached out to stroke her at the seam of her tight denim jean shorts. She held a large soda in one hand. The sun was setting over a great confusion and a great gray grief which seemed to be the acid ocean itself, pocked with bullet holes and sobbing in secret at the source. I must say I feel a little bit better this year. How do you, how do you all feel? Can I take your picture? May I? Thank you. I never do this, but then I regret not having done it, so you're not going to get away, you people. <laughs> Thank you. Um, sorry? 
Um, so, okay, okay. All I have to do is look at you to know. I can see every ejaculation that's come from you in want of company, hanging in the air around your head like a dingy veil. My heart makes a small movement toward your predicament while other parts within me turn away. How could someone so beautiful be so alone? How could someone so beautiful be so alone? Apparently, God wants us all revolving around the same question, his problem, as though that could make us forgive him, and maybe it could. The jealousy and spite and rage and lust his loneliness first loosed upon the world. The harder thing than forgiving would be desiring you, whom I now pity. You whose secrets of taking my breath away are now arrayed around your sad halo like so many rusted tools. My genital hardens and rises and flops back upon its belly again, almost believing that awe and forgiveness could physically both sigh out of a single breath while another eye inside my eye turns away from you and back into the hammered copper blackness within myself where it pools and foams into a velvet upon which my heart rocks backward like a warm rock falling back and back and back onto the ground where anyway it came from. Um, okay, so I have to like read the last poem so that this can be over. <laughs> and I just have to quickly decide what that's gonna be. Um, and it's gonna come really soon, serious. I had an idea that it would be one thing, but I've changed my mind. I never have to write this book again. Is it one? Yesterday, yesterday, yesterday I think was very important. Um, and not to go into too much into the astrological thing that's happening, but um, the, there, there are very seismic changes happening. People are also having breakups and big changes in their lives. I'm sure people in this room have been experiencing things like that, it's quite seismic and it's, it's profound. And I think that there's a kind of a light at the end of the tunnel that's come into view. It's never gonna be over, of course, and we're on planet Earth, so there's always going to be um, an argument, always, and war. Um, and of course, uh, dreadful things are happening and um, this whole provoking, trying to provoke Iran into war, all this stuff is just, it, you know, it, 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 I'm not saying that everything's coming up roses, but um, there's, some, there's something seismic afoot and it does feel um, geological 
And um, I don't know, it just feels good to be with you right now. So that's why I feel better than I did last year, because when I, this time last year I was literally in my office above the Bulletproof headquarters, and there was like, you know, the, the, there was this guy, like homeless guy who had the desk next to mine, and he would come in and um, microwave popcorn and make like all of this um, food, and we would be together <laughs> all night. Um, and you know, I really, I really, um, I, I enjoyed that. I have to say, it's it's a privilege to get to work on something that matters to you. But I am enjoying this more. <laughs> so Bulletproof is a, is a fad diet that was um, started by a Canadian entrepreneur who um, innovated a, a sort of, or who popularized a kind of um, hot beverage inspired by a trip to the Himalayas in which, uh, during which he had been offered yak butter tea. And um, he created a, a very exciting new way of drinking coffee by blending butter into it. And many men as, uh, and women also ha ha became very excited by this. Yes, there's some people are admitting, yes, you can stand up and admit, yes. And um, it, it, it is delicious, but, but its virtues as a weight loss um, assistant are rather dubious, actually. It was interesting working above the bulletproof office because everyone who worked there, um, all the people there, they, were, they all either looked like bodybuilders on some kind of like steroids or they were obese. That was the people, sorry, um, suddenly the, world, the room felt like it went cold. Like, is there a bulletproof employee in the room? I actually saw the guy once because he was like in a machine. I was like on my way to my office and he was like in the window of this like infrared machine that like I don't know what it was to, supposed to do, maybe tighten his skin or, and uh, he was like receiving the red light of the infrared machine and he's like in the window of his own headquarters and I'm just like trundling and you know with my big binder of a many draft of a sand book and he gave me this smile that was just like, and I was like, you're the man, bro. You know, it was, it, was a, it was a moment of, I just felt like I needed to explore, you know, the, the outer, the leading edge of the human optimization thing. I just felt like that was something I needed to learn about and absorb. I really wanted to put that into this. Okay. <laughs> Here's the last poem. You've all been very good. I love you too. Emergency room. Toothless man with a blackened toe screaming. I heard my blood screaming through my veins like wind on a Sierra, like electronic music. Elegant doctor in tight white coat, gray heels, bright pink complexion sways up to me. Where does it hurt, baby? The old man has caused a commotion, throwing off his coverings, accepting nobody's touch, but I'm enjoying the care. The doctors and nurses all flirting with each other, me and my fucked up leg. I forgot how much I love human places, courthouses and hospitals, 
gas stations and rest stops in the wee hours, New York in the dark when somebody's crying into their phone, wherever people are naked. Be nice, Poppy, you're gonna fall, says a nurse. You have to sit up in the bed. Three beautiful medical professionals bending over him now. Poppy, be nice, why are you fighting? He's gonna fall, sientate. Human touch, human care, human beauty, divine mystery. Thank you so much, Ariana. That's all I have to say. Thank you all for coming. Um, oh yeah, wait, I thought you the Q&A. I thought, I mean, if you want to, whatever you want to do. There was this dictum from Paul Ceylon that had been in my head my whole uh, post-adolescent life. That's the epigram or epigraph, I never know what the word is, to the book. He, he, his first book had been called Sand from the Urns. Paul Ceylon was a poet who um, was from Bukovina, which changed many, you know, it, it, it changed ownership many times. Um, he survived the Holocaust and ended up committing suicide in France. And um, he abandoned or repudiated his first book, uh, Sand from the Urns. And uh, it had something to do with the kind of silence that was demanded by catastrophe. And um, Ceylon kind of ruined my life in some ways. He's one of the reasons why I'm a poet. And it, it's very hard. One of his, one of his dictums his poems have a lot of imperative in them, and one of them was keep yes and no unsplit. Keep yes and no unsplit. And I really took that, that really went all the way in to me. And that's a very strange, you can do that, but it creates a strange life. Um, so I became really interested in the ground and in um, the, the aridity of things, and I, I was thinking about how, what interests me in poetry is what can't be said, and so that's always what attracts me in anything. Uh, and there was something about what was going on in my consciousness and in what I could experience, of our experience, that seemed impossible to speak of. And um, and so I found myself attracted to thinking about different ecological catastrophes that had involved the ground itself rising up. Um, this is something that happened in ancient Sumer, a very sophisticated urban society, not unlike our own, full of all the complicated pleasures and depredations of city life. And... Um, 
you know, they, they had a brilliant irrigation system that allowed them to sustain this very um, unique and fascinating culture, and they over-farmed the land, and they colla it collapsed. And the, the, the deserts of Sumer are deserts today, of ancient Sumer, and the, and the sort of catastrophe of that still haunts the poetry of Islam and of that region of the world. It's very interesting. And um, I thought about the Dust Bowl, which is not something that my family has like a cutaneous experience of because my family were refugees from Europe. But it's, it was just something in the American experience that I really wanted to go into. And so I read about it and I watched the Ken Burns documentary and I listened to a lot of Woody Guthrie, which comes right out of that. And I learned about Sonora Babb, the, the wonderful social worker and writer who did the real work that John Steinbeck ended up stealing for the Grapes of Wrath and all kinds of things. And I thought about the slaughter of the buffalo and I thought about the reservationization of the indigenous people and the genocide of the indigenous people and what that had done to the land and the collapse of Russian wheat after the Russian Revolution, which then led to the farming of wheat on, the, on these former grasslands. And all of that actually has all kinds of overtones, weirdly, with ancient texts that tell us things, oddly enough, about land care and animal husbandry and very practical things. And somehow all of this was swirling together with Sandra Bland and my mother, whose name is Sandra, and Sandy Hook and Hurricane Sandy. And it just seemed like I had no choice. Dun, 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 dun. We can call it. Thank you all. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.